Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Can a Republican get elected governor in Virginia? Fred Barnes thinks this year's gubernatorial race there may tell us a lot about GOP chances in 2018. Then we're going to talk about the international politics of Wonder Woman with Lee Smith. All that coming up on the Confab. The Confab, by the way, is sponsored by the Dollar Shave Club. They don't mess around with 14-blade razors and magic lubrication strips or other silly shave technology. As a Confab listener, you can enjoy your first month with the Dollar Shave Club for just $5 with free shipping included. Just go to dollarshaveclub.com slash confab. Don't forget the slash confab part. And now we get the confab rolling with executive editor of the Weekly Standard, Mr. Fred Barnes. Fred, welcome to the confab. Well, thank you. I'm always glad to be here. We're always glad to have you. So in the magazine, in the Weekly Standard this week, you are writing about Ed Gillespie, mm-hmm. one of the Republican candidates for governor of Virginia. And this is a race that I think is really going to tell us a lot about the Trump effect mm-hmm. um, on the GOP in elections coming up in another year. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it may well. But tell us, who is Ed Gillespie? Well, you know, people in the political community, even around the country, will remember Ed. He was Republican national chairman when George W. Bush uh, was president. He became a counselor to Bush at the White House for a couple of years. He was a Washington lobbyist. Uh, but he's lived in Virginia for quite a while now, and he became involved in Virginia politics. And he ran for the Senate in Virginia against Mark Warner, who was supposedly the most popular politician in Virginia. Warner's a Democrat. And Ed was given no chance of winning. And he almost which, beat— Which year was this? This was 2014. Right. He, uh, he almost he beat Mark Warner. It would have been one of the greatest upsets in, in Senate history. He didn't quite make it, but it established him as a bigwig in the Republican Party of Virginia. He announced— actually not long after that, that he was going to run for governor in 2017 in Virginia, like uh, Kentucky and Louisiana uh, is one of, and New Jersey. Are, those are the four states that have gubernatorial races in odd-numbered years. And so the one in Virginia is always looked at as, as uh, sort of a, a bellwether uh, to see uh, how things are going because it's one after uh, a new president this year and uh, after a new president uh, has come into office. Trump is new, uh, and we're going to see what sort of an effect he has on that race. One of things, yep, go ahead. Well, one of the things you write about in your article is that um, it's easier for the candidate who's in the opposite party of a yeah. new president because he mm-hmm. can rally dissatisfaction yeah. against the president. Not that there's any dissatisfaction with President Trump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that worked. The last four elected Republican governors all ran against uh, Democratic presidents. You know, you think, well, they're running for governor. How can they do that? Well, they make a big issue out of the president. And so these midterm elections, uh, even the early ones, like these governor's races, are uh, become ones that politicians watch and can tell you about how things are going. 
Ed Gillespie has done a pretty good job so far of not being uh, tangled up with uh, Donald Trump, but practically everybody, the press, the Democrats, even some of the Republicans want him to get involved. They're trying to get that albatross around his neck one way or another. One way or another, and and we'll see. He's avoided it in the primaries uh, so far, and, and the assumption is he'll win on June 13th to be the Republican nominee. And then he's really loaded for bear against the Democrats. Although it's not an easy proposition, as you point out, no Republican has won a statewide office in in Virginia mm-hmm. since two thousand nine. That's yep. a that's a long time in the wilderness. No, it's a long time in politics for sure. No question about that. Look, Virginia, Larry uh, Savato of UVA, who is a a, a political science professor and a pundit, and uh, genius. Said, and yeah, well, he's he's pretty good. I know him pretty well. And he's uh, when I when I told him that my son was going to go to business school at UVA, my three daughters. Daughters went there. He said, "Well, we'll have to have a special Barnes weekend <laughs> to celebrate this." Uh, but anyway, but he uh, he says, "Look, it is Virginia is a blue tinged purple state." What that means, there's an easier way of saying that. It's a state that leans pretty heavily Democratic now. Which, of course, didn't always lean Democratic. No, not at all. Before 30, 40 years, when the old segregationist Democrats and the bird machine lost power uh, back in the 60s, uh, it became a Republican state. And uh, uh, it's headed in the other direction now. And it's it's hard for a Republican to win statewide. But Ed Gillespie can. And and one of the things that will help Ed Gillespie is that both of the candidates for uh, for governor on the Democratic side, Tom Periello and Lieutenant Governor Ralph Northam, um, are both moving hard to the left. Periello already <laughs> way far to the left, but he's been, as you point out, dragging Northam with him yeah. as far left as he can go. Yeah, Northam was thought to be a centrist, and I think he was, uh, and, he, and he even admits, though he's a Democrat now, he admits to having voted for George W. Bush in 2000 and 2004. Uh, you know, you don't hear that from many Democrats, particularly <laughs> when they're trying to get elected governor. Uh, but he has been dragged to the left, and, you know, so they're now forgetting. Here's where I think one of their big mistakes is they want to get rid of the right-to-work law mm. in Virginia. You know, right to work laws are maybe not that big a deal in some states, but Virginia has always advertised it to bring in industry and commerce and so on because uh, uh, you don't have a union shop. There's not mandatory unionism, and it's uh, it affects business in a state a great deal. I think they're making a mistake doing that, but they're just trying to uh, – Perriello and Northam are just trying to please the left-wing base of the Democratic Party, <laughs> which in Virginia, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, they didn't have a left-wing base. They had a base. It just wasn't that left-wing. Now, Gillespie, even with left-wingers uh, mm-hmm. as opposition to him um, – he still has to figure out how to be conservative without frightening people, yeah. which seems to be the 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 standard for what succeeds uh, from the Republicans mm-hmm. in Virginia these days. I think it is. You have to look. Virginians rejected Trump. He lost by a few hundred thousand votes, which is a lot. Uh, in 2013, Ken Cuccinelli, who was attorney general, ran for governor. And he was uh, pretty far to the right, uh, particularly on social issues like abortion and gay rights and so on. Uh, and he wound up losing a race that was winnable. Uh, and uh, as, a, as a very prominent Republican in, in Virginia told me, uh, Trump and 
and uh, Cuccinelli just scared voters, particularly in northern Virginia, where uh, the largest chunk of votes are. Uh, and, the, and he says that uh, uh, Bob McDonald, who was elected governor in 2009, and, as luck would have it, Ed uh, uh, Gillespie, don't scare voters. You know, they're, they're not too far to the right. And they're very friendly, and they smile, uh, and they talk about policy ideas and things like that. Uh, and for a Republican, that's sort of what you have to do to win statewide now. So is this going to be a referendum on Trump? It, uh, to some extent it is, but uh, uh, that, uh, the question is how close can Ed Gillespie safely uh, link to Trump? How close can he get to Trump and not uh, suffer because of Trump's unpopularity in Virginia? Because there's um, going to be some maybe, what, 30 percent of the electorate, uh, a perhaps a majority of Republicans who are actually pro-Trump and yeah. are not going to be looking for the Republican candidate to be bashing Trump. Well, he can't bash Trump. That's one thing that uh, Gillespie can't do. But <laughs> but he doesn't, he doesn't want uh, uh, to be in uh, – in in Trump's pocket either. He doesn't want to be uh, really uh, deeply associated with him. He doesn't want Trump to come in and campaign for him. Uh, Look, this is a tricky thing uh, uh, for Ed Gillespie, and and the outcome of the election may hang on that. Uh, You know, there's Fairfax County. 1.2 million people live there. It's one of the most remarkable counties in America. It's wealthier than all but one county, I believe, in the entire country. Highly educated, very diverse, a lot of immigrants uh, of the educated doctor and, uh, uh, types, uh, and it's very democratic. And a lot of government employees. And a lot of government and, uh, and employees. One of the things that the Trump people did when they were uh, running the presidential election, when they got into Virginia, they sort of checked out what people thought about, about Trump uh, around the state. And they found that when you're talking about draining the swamp, they didn't like that in northern Virginia. The swamp Virginia. creatures don't like the idea of the— <laughs> They didn't the, like the idea. And that, of course, meant here. that they gave up on Virginia because they knew they couldn't win. Ed Gillespie lives in Fairfax County. He's a Republican. You have to get into, you know, 40 to 45 percent. He did that against Warner. If he does it again— he can win. If he doesn't, if he's down around 27% or something like that that Trump got, you're a loser in Virginia. Fred Barnes, executive editor of The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on The Confab. I'm glad to have been here. The Confab is brought to you by the Dollar Shave Club. Get a great shave at a great price with razors delivered right to your door. The Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. No schlepping to the store where you either get a cheap disposable razor that gives you a cheap shave, or you spend a fortune on razors with gimmicky shaving technology that you don't need. There's a special deal for Confab listeners who join the Dollar Shave Club. You get $15 worth of blades and shave butter for just $5. It's easy to order online. All you have to do to get this exclusive offer is go to dollarshaveclub.com slash confab. Now we welcome to the Confab studio Mr. Lee Smith. Senior editor of the Weekly Standard, Lee. How are you doing? Uh, terrific, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on the Confab. Now, All right. 
we're going to talk about Wonder Woman, but okay. but yeah, before yeah. we talk about the new Wonder Woman movie yes. here and a small controversy involving it, we have okay. to get we have to get one thing straight. Okay, which is the actress right. playing. Uh, Wonder Woman. No, it doesn't uh, rhyme with Bridget Bardot. N- uh, yeah, actually, I think it. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I, it's, it's Gal Gadot, but I, it's Gal Gadot. That's how. That's how. Gal I, Gadot. I yeah, yeah that, you that, pronounce right. the T. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And and that's because the name is. Israeli, not French. She is. She is Israeli. I'm not sure where the name is from. I think that she's part. I think that she might be part uh, North African. North African Jew. Her family might be from Tunisia. Part of it. You know. I mean, many Israelis. They're they're the products right now of of uh, of marriages of uh, Sephardic and 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 Ashkenazi. So, but I think her family. I think her family. I think the name Gadot. Uh, but maybe one of our listeners can can write in with the with the actual answer. It might be Tunisian, but. Well, I'll, I'll check on it later. That would be confab at weeklystandard.com. Right. If you're the listener who knows the answer to the question, you can That's write right. in and set us straight. But uh, being Israeli has caused a, a very yeah. small problem for very this small. movie. Very, yeah. very small problem for the yeah. movie, uh, which you write about in this week's Weekly Standard. Right. Lee, tell us about the uh, the controversy. Well, it's actually very it, – I think it's kind of sad and pathetic. It's that uh, – the government of Lebanon has decided to ban the picture because the actress, because the lead actress playing uh, Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman is Israeli. And the government of Lebanon is now controlled by Hezbollah, the Iranian militia, the Iranian-backed militia, which is which is at war with Israel. So it's very sad. I mean, it speaks to the pettiness of Hezbollah, the patheticness of Hezbollah and what, uh, what this particular uh, outfit this terrorist Speaking of or, outfits, it's not it's not Wonder it Woman's outfit no, that you right. know, yeah. it wasn't yeah, a demand right. for burqa like no, cover that, up or the, anything. Right. The problem in Lebanon was not Wonder Woman's outfit. <laughs> it's rather the fact that the lead actress, the star, is Israeli. Right. And not just Israeli, yeah, right. but she actually as a good citizen of Israel yes. served in the IDF. Yes, apparently, you know, I've seen her I've seen her in different pictures before. And uh, she apparently tells the directors, which is which is the case, that she served in the army and she knows how to handle a weapon. So she often uh, – I've seen her in other action roles. I'm sorry it escapes me right now what else I've seen her in. But this but is She this certainly is knows her way around weapons. Yes, somebody right. in, a, in an action movie who actually <laughs> yeah, has some right. experience in well, the military. This is actually very interesting. I, this is probably the first time we've seen this since about the 70s or 80s, right? So, I mean, all the old stars, you look at uh, you look at whether it was Lee Steve Marvin. McQueen, Lee Marvin. Marvin. I mean, and look at the British actors. You had Christopher, uh, Christopher Lee. All these guys were. All these guys did serve in the military, and then they wind up playing Jimmy Stewart, of course. Jimmy Stewart, right? Then they wind up playing heroes who, who handle who handle weapons. But yes, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that in American pictures in about yeah, about thirty, forty years, maybe. Now, as you point out in the piece, Lebanon is not exactly the world's largest or even second or third largest yes. movie market. Very tiny, yes. Very tiny. A, so a, a speck. It's a, it's a, it's a speck. Right. And, and here's where we make a transition right. is, <laughs> as you transition in your piece to talk about how um, the second largest audience for movies in the world yes. probably will be f- the first largest before too long yes. is China. Right. And China – Strangely, has a thing about the Jews. The, the the Chinese are the Chinese love Israel and they are obsessed with the Jews. Uh, they look at a tiny ancient, uh, tiny ancient nation, the uh, the Jewish people, uh, 
which is one of the old, along with China and along with the Indians, are among the nation, uh, the oldest nations on earth. But they look at this small, tiny, uh, small, tiny tribe of people, and they wonder how they've been so successful, especially surrounded by. Uh, having gone through a very tough history, and at this point surrounded by tough neighbors. And they want to know why the Jews and why the Israelis in particular have been so successful throughout history. Um, there's a, a book recently came out in 2016 called The Image of Jews in Contemporary hmm. China hmm. Um, by James Ross. Huh. And uh, okay. in an essay in this book, he writes that stereotypes and misinformation about Jews remain widespread in China. They're not being many actual <laughs> right. Jews in China. Yeah. Um, but they seem to have and inspired— there are. I mean, yeah, they're not, they're, they're not that many, but there are Jews in China, yeah. for sure. But what's interesting, he says, they seem— these stereotypes and misinformation seem to have inspired admiration for Jews rather than anti-Semitism. <clears throat> yeah, that, but it is a tricky right. thing when right. it's admiration, but it's an admiration based on some unfortunate stereotypes. Yeah. Um, they are, unfor- they are, they are of, of course, bizarre stereotypes. I mean, it kind of depends on how you play it, right? I mean, if you're, if you're an anti-Semite, if you're a hateful racist and you say like, how do these people have so much power? They must control some secret levers around the universe and they're responsible for our suffering and pain. Then that's that, that's the negative and very ugly way to play it. You can also look and say respectfully, it's like this is an actually very interesting, successful community throughout world history, which has obviously suffered greatly. But why are they so successful now? If you looked at Israel as an IT Power the coastal plain along uh, along the Mediterranean. I mean, these guys are extremely uh, innovative, and so the Chinese and other other Asians, uh, Asian nations, including South Korea, are asking this as well. How did Israel get to be so successful? What are the secrets um, to Israeli to to Israel's success? And do you have the answer to that question? The 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 Chinese believe. I mean, the, I, I think the Chinese are looking at a number of different things. The Chinese are looking at uh, the the Old Testament, uh, the Tanakh, and the Talmud. This is one of the things the Chinese look at. But in a sense, the Chinese understand quite well what the secret to uh, to Jewish uh, and Israel's success is. A lot of it has to do with education and the family, right? I mean. These are close communities. These are communities that value education, value learning. The Chinese are very similar in this way, and I think that's one reason, probably, why the Chinese, uh, why the Chinese, uh, why the Chinese admire uh, admire Israel, admire Israel very much. I mean, a lot of the values are shared. So for them, it's not for them. In some ways, it's they're looking at something, they're investigating, but in a sense, it's a reflection of the things that they value most in their own society. Right? It's education. It's uh, it's family. Uh, it's family ties and respect for the family, respect for your elders. So it's actually not that surprising why the Chinese would look to uh, they would look to uh, Israel's success. And so now we'll have Wonder Woman with Gal Gadot opening in China soon and doing yeah. Bafo box office. No I, I, doubt. I, I bet. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think the second top mo- the second top movie, the top American movie in China, might be. Fast and Furious Seven is that right? I was just checking the or fourteen. I don't know how many there are. I I think we're up to seven. I think we're just up to seven. I was just looking at the numbers and I'm like, I'm I'm betting that Wonder Woman surpasses it, but we'll see. We'll see. It could be an exciting summer for uh, for Wonder Woman. Lee Smith, thanks so much for joining us on the Confab. Thanks for having me.
That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Join the Confab conversation. Let us know what you want to hear more about. You can email us at confab at weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.